Welcome. You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. What a wonderful day it is to worship together. Last week, Jeff kicked off our new sermon series, Thank You Notes, with a marvelous sermon. He reminded us about the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, sharing with them how much they meant to him, and he encouraged us to share with others just how much they mean to us. If you didn't last week, I would encourage you to sit down and to write a note to someone that means something to you and let them know. This week, we are continuing the sermon series, and we will be looking at another of Paul's letters. Spoiler alert, it's not a thank you note this week. Now, Jeff mentioned last week how much he appreciates getting letters in the mail, particularly thank you notes. I, too, love getting letters In fact, up until a few years ago, I had every single letter ever given to me from the eighth grade on. I still keep the letters that are written to me, but just not as long anymore. And I read them, and then I reread them. I love to see what my family and friends have written to me. It's a way to hear their voice, even if I can't see them which right now means more than ever. Over quarantine, I received some pretty special letters. There was one from my dear Daddy Jean. There was one from a thoughtful colleague. There was one from a sweet friend and more. They've meant the world to me and were such personal expressions of care. And of course, there's the modern day letter, the text message which we all get lots of. And with technology, I can even send video letters through an app on my phone. While they aren't handwritten letters, the app I use allows me and others to leave video messages. And we are able to share life. And that allows me to be able to share life with my best friends from college who don't live in the same area. We share the ups and downs of life. We encourage one another. We lament. We vent to one another. And we love each other through the modern day video correspondence. It's truly a gift and far quicker than how Paul and the Corinthians had to communicate. But the same goal is accomplished. While we love the ability to communicate this way through written letters or through today's video letter, Letters are still a surrogate to being in person. We would much rather be together. In our letter today, Paul is writing to his friends in Corinth. Previously, he had spent 18 months living with them. This is the longest he spent in any city with the exception of Ephesus. Letters are deeply personal like an intimate conversation that awaits a response or is a response to something between people. And Paul deeply cares for the people he writes to. But the letters look different because his relationships are different with each community. His letters to the Corinthians look different from the ones he sent to others. 
Sometimes he's encouraging his friends. Sometimes he's super angry and admonishing them. But it all comes from a place of love. In fact, it is this love that we encounter in the ending of this letter that we will read today. In this case, Paul has received news that there is trouble in Corinth. Now, Corinth is in modern-day Greece. And like Ephesus that Jeff mentioned last week, it was truly a trading mecca because of its location. You see, Corinth was located on an isthmus that connects northern and southern Greece. So north to south traffic had to pass through Corinth. And often, east to west traffic would pass through as well because it was dangerous to round the southern tip of Greece. Now, while Corinth was a bustling city and one of the greatest commercial trade routes, the people of Corinth were not known for their moral compasses. And in fact, the late Greek writer Aelian said that if ever a Corinthian was depicted in a play, they were shown drunk. Corinth was known as an evil and filthy place. And even in this unlikely place, God worked through Paul. And some of Paul's greatest work for the church was done in Corinth. So when Paul hears from Chloe's family, who are part of the Corinthian church, that there's trouble there, that there's dissension in the church and it is torn, he writes to them to address these issues. It's important to note just how greatly Paul cares for these people. He planted the church in Corinth and thinks of himself as a parent to them. He loves them like a parent loves his children. Their well-being and, frankly, their salvation are of utmost importance to him. Now we're looking at the very end of his first letter to them. And as a former English teacher, I know that it is important not only how you begin a letter, but also how you end it. What you drive home and leave people with is what they will remember. And even if you've done a mediocre study of Paul, you will know that there is not one word that Paul utters that is not thoughtful and deliberate. Paul's ending here is intentional. It's what he wants the Corinthians to remember. So let's see what he says. But before we read, let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for the gift of your scripture to us. Lord, we pray that in these moments, you would quiet our minds, still our bodies, and open our ears and our hearts so that we might hear where you are speaking to us today. We lift this time to you, Lord, and we pray that it would be glorifying to you. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Listen now for the word of our Lord. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 21. Keep alert. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, brothers and sisters, you know that members of the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. 
I urge you to put yourselves at the service of such people and of everyone who works and toils with them. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. So give recognition to such persons. The churches of Asia send greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, greet you warmly in the Lord. All the brothers and sisters send greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Let anyone be accursed who has no love for the Lord. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At first glance, this looks like a pretty ordinary and practical ending of a letter. But as I said, Paul is very deliberate. So I want to approach this passage like a Bible study, reading and examining each of the four main sections of the text. This is an easy enough passage to digest, but I will be honest with you, it truly takes work to put into action. First, let's look at section one, which is verses 13 and 14. Keep alert, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. I actually like the NIV translation of this verse better because of one little word. In the Greek, there is not actually the possessive pronoun your. The NIV translates it, stand firm in the faith, which I think is better And it explains Paul's point here. He is urging them to stand firm in the truth of the gospel itself, not one's own subjectivity. Then he says, be courageous and strong. These are words that echo the Psalms that Paul would know and be referencing. Psalm 31 in verses 23 and 24 says, Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful but abundantly repays the one who acts haughtily. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. When you read the imperative Paul uses in the letter to the Corinthians, in light of Psalm 31, it's clear that the strength and courage he's talking about are rooted in God and oppose haughty arrogance and boasting. Real, true strength is found by trusting God. Paul is reminding the Corinthians that they must stay alert to what is happening around them, to be rooted in God and the gospel truth. This is where they'll find authentic courage and strength. And friends, in a world where we have things thrown at us left and right, like a global pandemic or social unrest, an election year, natural disasters, We must stay rooted in the truth and trust God with everything, even though our human tendency might be to lean on ourselves or to lose faith. And then finally, he reminds them, as he has over and over in the letter, particularly in chapter 13, to let all that they do be done in love. William Barclay, who's a world-renowned New Testament interpreter, explains this text beautifully, saying, In the Christian life, there must be the courage that will never retreat 
and the love that will never fail. And friends, that kind of courage and love can only come from God. Now we'll move on to section 2, verses 16 through 19. He's giving recognition to Stephanus and his companions and sending greetings from Aquila and Prisca. Who are these people and why does Paul bring them up at the very end of the letter? It's easy when reading to just gloss over these names and not give them another thought. But to the readers of this letter, they would know that Paul was sending a clear message by including them. He has just talked about the importance of letting all that one does be done in love. And he's now giving them practical examples of what that love looks like in action. Stephanus and his household had visited Paul and brought him more news of what was happening in Corinth. Stephanus was known for putting the church and others before himself. Paul was using Stephanus and his companions as examples for what it looks like to live one's life in service to the church and to be faithful representatives of the gospel. They are subject to one another in love, not by power. And Paul commends them for this and says they should be honored. Then he brings up Aquila and Prisca. They're a missionary couple that once lived in Corinth, and that's where Paul met them. And as you notice, he mentions them and the church in their house. Paul's reminding them that they are part of something bigger. It's not just the church in Corinth. They're part of the church of Jesus Christ. And he's also highlighting two examples of living out the love of Christ. You see, wherever Aquila and Prisca traveled to, they set up church in their home. There were no church buildings, so they made their home into a welcoming place of Christ's light and love. They invited others in and shared their faith and their lives. What a beautiful image. While we may not be able to necessarily invite people into our homes right now, we can still be the church outside of the walls. I would say maybe this is more important now than ever. We can be the church in the ways that we interact in our community. We are called to share our faith, living it out in our daily lives like Aquila and Prisca. Oftentimes evangelism gets a bad name. We think of that person that's on the street corner yelling at you to accept Jesus or else. Or on the opposite end, people feel like their faith is a very private thing, and it's uncomfortable to share with others. But what we see here is that faith is very personal, but it's not meant to be private. It's meant to be shared. We are called to be inclusive, to bring people into the faith, to make new friends, and invite them in like Aquila and Prisca did. I mentioned my college friends earlier, And when I think about practically living out faith, like Stephanus and Prisca and Aquila, being inclusive and a beacon of light and love, I think of my college friend, Meg. Meg was my first friend in college. We attended school in South Carolina, which happens to be where Meg is from. She knew a gajillion people. I knew three 
and only one of them was an actual friend. Meg had community and plenty of friends. She didn't need me, but she included me. Meg and I were very different back then, but even with our differences, she welcomed and accepted me. Fast forward 20 years later and after many moves, Meg and I both ended up in Roswell, and she now actually attends RPC. And she is still constantly connecting people and pre-COVID was inviting people of all walks of life into her family's home. I think about one time I stood in her dining room talking to someone I didn't know well, and we had a beautiful discussion about faith. They knew Meg attended our church and they were interested. They saw the difference it made in her life. I didn't initiate the conversation. Trust me, I don't usually lead with, I'm a pastor. But conversation happened because Meg opened her home to all. We were able to connect deeply over a plate of barbecue and children running around our feet. Paul is calling us, no matter where we are, to be open to new friends and new relationships, to be willing to share the truth of the gospel, not only with our words, but with our actions. Being a follower of Jesus means that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. And then there's verse 20. All the brothers and sisters send greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Remember, this is a church that is torn. They're divided on a number of issues. Sound familiar? Paul is reminding them that they are family, siblings. And the second part of this verse is Paul reminding them to greet one another with a holy kiss. A holy kiss is a Jewish custom that was adopted by the early church. In the early church, it was a symbol of peace and being united in the perfect love of Christ. They ended prayers and sacraments with it. Later, it became known simply as the peace. And it was important for Paul to remind the church in Corinth that was in the middle of strife and dissension that they were united and called to pass peace to one another. I know some of you might be wondering if I will address the big news this week. Claire Crawley's shocking confession on The Bachelorette. Just kidding. The election. I can say for certain, I have never lived through a more divisive election. I want you to know that this sermon is being recorded prior to the election results. So I don't know what will happen. That being said, this has been a hard time. And the political landscape has caused division in our community and in our churches. But no matter our political differences, the scripture is clear. We are family. And we should be united in Christ and pass peace to one another, period. Over the past couple of weeks, I have seen beautiful examples of that. One in particular is a group of ladies from my Bible study that got together via Zoom to discuss Sarah Bauer Anderson's book, The Space Between Us. 
how Jesus teaches us to live together when politics and religion pull us apart. My friend Julie captured their time in a social media post that she said I could share. She said, we didn't solve the world's problems or even our own, but we did think critically about the ways we can move closer to those who believe differently than we do. Another example of this is a group of women in our church that were just featured in Atlanta Magazine because of how they are united in faith, even though they disagree about political matters. Friends, we can always find things that divide us. And I want to be clear that it's okay to disagree or have different views or opinions. We can challenge one another, encourage one another to be better, but we are called to treat each other with grace and pass peace to one another, just like Jesus does for each one of us, even though we don't deserve it. We are united by the perfect love of Christ that is stronger than all of our differences. Even among differences, political or whatever they may be, Paul is calling the followers of Christ in Corinth to live a life of love, offering one another grace and peace. And that is the call for us as followers of Jesus in our own communities. And while there's certainly division in our world right now, I have watched this community, the community at RPC, respond to this call, put their faith into action over and over and over again. Just in the last month, I have watched you drop everything to come together to pray for, for a friend who is in the hospital. I have watched you check in on the man who lost his wife and is alone. I have watched you sign up to bring meals to the family who has a child fighting cancer. We are a church family and we show up because despite our differences, we are united in Christ. Let's take one final look at the last sentences of Paul's letter. He says, My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Barclay says it best. Two last things Paul sends the folk at Corinth. The grace of Christ and his own love. He might have had occasion to warn, rebuke, to speak with righteous anger. But the last word is love. Friends, let us take this letter to heart. May our strength and courage come from God. May we be bearers of Christ's love and light in our lives through our words and our actions. And may we extend the grace and peace of Christ to others, even when we don't agree. And may our last words always be love. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. We thank you that it is the living word that you speak to us through this scripture. And Lord, we thank you of its message, God, the message that you love us 
and we are called to show that love to others. So Lord, help us to be a people that are about showing your love in the world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.